0: take their soul to the next level and I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best-selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have film producer Stephen Simon. And Stephen is the producer of one of my favorite films of all time, What Dreams May Come, starring the late, great Robin Williams. And he's also produced films like Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve and many, many more. And I want to have Stephen on the show to talk about finding love on the other side and how he connected with his deceased wife to not only communicate with her, but to write a book, to share their experiences with the world. And his story is a movie in itself, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show Stephen Simon. How are you doing, Stephen?
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, as uh, Jim Carrey would say. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. We had a a wonderful conversation about your film filmmaking history, in my other show, and and uh, I found out about your book. And I was like, well, I, you know, I have to do it. I do this other show that might be a good fit for what you're talking about in your book. You <laughs> but uh, I wanted to, you know, kind of give the the audience a little bit of background about you and and where you come from. So, what drew you into the to the film industry and that insanity that is the film industry and what what kind of brought you into that world?
1: Sure, so um, I was very, very, very lucky. Um, I was born into it. My father, my birth father, was a producer and a director in the 1940s and also the head of production at Columbia Studios at the end of the 40s. He made movies with Red Skelton and Abbott and Costello and a bunch of other major stars. Um, He was, Um, a wonderful director and a wonderful producer. Um, Unfortunately, he died when I was very young. Uh, It was just before my fifth birthday, but my mother remarried another film producer uh, who made movies at MGM with a bunch of other stars. So I was really born into the business. I was very fortunate about that. As far as my spirituality and how it all began because it dovetails into my career, When I was young, and I don't remember exactly um, how old I was. I was probably seven years old, eight years old. It was a couple of years after my dad died. We had moved into a new home, and I kept telling my mother and my stepfather that there is a man in my wall every night. And they were like, what? And I was like, there's a man in my wall. Well, does it scare you? No, no, it doesn't scare me at all. He's really, really nice, and I think he's there to protect me. Well, it took me a long time to realize that that was the spirit of my dad, uh, who was indeed there, but it kind of got me going on a path where, when I became a bit older, when I got into my teenage years and into my twenties, my favorite movies were like *It's a Wonderful Life* and *Lost Horizons* and *The Ghost and Mrs. Muir*. You know, films like that that had a what I consider to be a spiritual content to them. Uh, I briefly, very briefly, after college, I went to law school. I became a lawyer for a very short period of time, knowing that I would never be in the industry. Um, I practiced for about a year and a half, never got it right, and had a big celebration when all the malpractice insurance um, deadlines had passed, and I realized that nobody could sue me. I I was not a a really good lawyer, but I knew I was going to get into the film industry. I went into a bookstore in 1975 and was sold a book called Bid Time Return. And I took it home, I read it that night, and I thought, that's it, I gotta get into the film industry. So I went to Ray Stark. Uh, For people um, who are not familiar with who Ray was, Ray was a very, very successful, powerful film producer for many, many years in the industry. He made uh, Funny Girl, The Way We Were, Annie, a bunch of other terrific films. And he was my father's protege my birth father's protege. So I grew up around Ray. Again, as I said, I got into this industry uh, through connections and uh, I was very, very fortunate to do that. Uh, I begged Ray for a job. Uh, He thought my mother, who was a dear friend of his, would kill him because she was gonna take her son, the Jewish lawyer, out of the law business and put him in the film industry, but I convinced him to do it. The very first thing I did was got on the phone, found out who the agent for the writer who wrote the book, Richard Matheson, was. Um, I met him for lunch, and I told him I had no idea what it was like to produce a film, except from afar, I was going to learn, and that that would be my first film if he would give me a chance with it and give me an option. And he agreed, we shook hands, and three years later, that became Somewhere in Time. That began my relationship with Richard. And um, when we were prepping Somewhere in Time, Richard gave me the galleys for his next novel, which was What Dreams May Come. And it took me three years to get Somewhere in Time made, took me 20 years to get What Dreams May Come made. Uh, That is quite a journey. We could actually spend uh, an entire interview talking about how that came about and how it, it didn't over the years. But it took a long time. Uh, I finally got that film put together. And my life is really, in the film industry, has really been about trying to make spiritual movies and and actually pushing the, the edge, I think, with them. You know, Summer in Time, when it first came out, was a complete bomb. It bombed with the critics. It bombed at the box office. It was gone after three weeks. Broke my heart. I thought we'd made a really beautiful timeless love story. It took a while for it to catch on. Uh, there was a guy in LA named Jerry Harvey who programmed the Z Channel, which was the first like pay, pay-per-view kind of channel in LA. And he happened to love Somewhere in Time. And he only ran two movies a night in the beginning. And he used to run this twice at eight o'clock and at 10 o'clock. HBO bought it, Um, when they just started out because they didn't buy hit films, they couldn't afford it. And the film found its way into people's hearts. And now it's become quite a big cult film. Uh, Universal has sold an awful lot of DVDs and a lot of downloads with it. And every year now at the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island where we shot that, they have a Summer in Time weekend. And people come dressed in 1912 costumes and they do trivia contests. And fortunately, uh, we got to take our family uh, to a couple of those. It's very meaningful to me. I knew after What Dreams May Come that I needed to get out of L.A. Uh, I became friends with a wonderful man named uh, Neil Donald Walsh, who wrote the Conversations with God books. Uh, Neil and I have kind of always considered each other since we met 20 some odd years ago to be brothers from another mother. And at one point, I was living in LA, it was 2001, and Neil said to me, you have to write a book. You gotta write a book about spiritual cinema because that's your life. And I'm like, Neil, you're the book writer, I'm not. We kept arguing, and finally one day, he said, "Stephen, you're gonna write the damn book. Do you wanna argue with my source? <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. So um, I wrote the book, which was my uh, first book, uh, called um, Mystical Movie Messages That Inspire Our World. That was the, um, the drop line. Uh, the title of the book is The Force Is With You. And that got me into the whole idea of going out and talking about spirituality, which frankly, Alex, is why I got into the film industry. You know, looking back on my career now, I know that's one of the major reasons that I came into this life was to get these films made Uh, As I said, somewhere in time, bombed. What Dreams May Come did not bomb. What Dreams May Come did almost $90 million, $95 million worldwide, but it lost money because it was very expensive.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: And it, it did push the envelope. And that was the point. It was not... To make a big commercial mainstream movie, neither Summer in Time nor What Dreams May Come are big mainstream movies. You know, I, I went on to make the film version of Conversations with God, which is also not a mainstream movie, a little movie called Indigo, which is not a mainstream movie. But it was movies for an audience that I knew was there, that I believe is underserved and is still underserved. Mm-hmm. And it was not meant to, those movies are not meant to convert anybody. They're meant to make people feel better about being human. Uh, dreams, I know, is a quite a journey and it's a dramatic journey. Uh, I one time gave a kind of an elevator pitch about what dreams may come to somebody and somebody, and no one will ever make that movie. I mean, that's just way too tough. It's way too difficult. So that went on in my life. Um, in 2018, um, I had been married for quite a while. Um, I found the love of my life, my soulmate, my twin flame. And one morning, I came home from the gym, uh, January 3rd, 2018, and found that she had um, transitioned in her sleep. She was only 54, and it was a shock. Uh, which sent me into a tailspin. Uh, I know that there are people out there who have had these experiences, uh, much worse experiences than that. And I know what people go through when you go through that kind of grief. I went, I I totally fell apart, frankly, for almost two years. It was really, really difficult for me. We had had a lot of conversations, Lauren and I. Uh, Lauren was and still is um, kind of a incredible intuitive and had the same spiritual beliefs and we actually talked about one night she said to me honey we got to figure out what we want our afterlife experience to be together and you know and she went into a, uh, a a channeling trance where we started talking about it laying things out in detail she knew I think looking back on it that something was coming in her life about six weeks after she transitioned, she came through to me. We had talked about it a lot. Um, It was not something that I was shocked by. I was so relieved that she came through to me because it had been six weeks. And even though that's a very short period of time, it was just desperately important for that connection to happen. That then grew into a lot of conversations, which grew into a book that we wrote together called What Dreams Have Come, which we published in about two years ago. Uh, It's available uh, exclusively on Amazon. We self-published it. I knew there was no way I was ever gonna get a publisher to uh, publish a book um, written with my wife who had transitioned uh, before. And we wrote the book for people, again, who have been through this experience, who are going through this experience, and who have connections with loved ones on the other side. You know, there are a whole bunch of Facebook groups that actually are are entirely focused on that. One in particular, Love After Life, which is a private one that is only dedicated to people who are still communicating with the loves of their lives, husbands, wives, uh, children, uh, parents, grandparents, et cetera. And again, we wrote this book for people who are having this experience, who have been afraid to talk about it because they're afraid that people will think they're crazy. I went past crazy decades ago. So none of that really faces me whatsoever. That's what my life and my career have been about. And that's really the journey of film and the journey of spirituality and our book. And I hope, we both hope, Lauren and I both hope, that it will bring comfort to people who are afraid to talk about it because people will look at them you know, askew and people look at me askew all the time when I talk about this. There are other people who welcome it, but we really wrote this to encourage people who are having this experience, are trying to have this experience, that you're not alone. And when I look back on my life and on my career, It's obvious that this had to happen. You know, if you look at somewhere in time and what dreams may come and conversations with God and Indigo and also the spiritual cinema circle, which we operated for 16 years, this was where I was going in my life. And that I was going to say in a nutshell, but it's a very big nutshell that's the journey
0: well let's uh, let's go back and unpack that a little bit because there's a lot that you just
1: <laughs> yeah I, I know well you know it, it, it's great for me to be able to do that because now the rest of the interview is up to you. <laughs> <laughs> you you can tell me where we're gonna go and I will go right with you so
0: um I just want to before we get into lauren and, and the book there's something really special about what dreams may come and it's uh, you know I've still I've spoken to you as well that's one of my favorite films of all time and, and it's such a powerful film that as well as somewhere in time has found its audience over time. Mm-hmm. And especially because of Robin, uh Robin Williams, who was the star of it, and how he transitioned, how he passed, and the the you know, the kind of two storylines between Robin's life and the movie's life. And that movie would never have been made without Robin. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, Robin was the one who Robin at that time could green light anything he wanted to. He just, just tells the studio, I'm going to do this movie. It gets done. Uh, I had the, the creators of August rushed on as well, and which is another wonderful, wonderful film uh, that has a spiritual twist to it without question. No one would get, no one would, no one would do it until Robin said, I'll do it. And he was a co-star in that. He wasn't even the main stars of that. And they let him do it. So he had a lot of power uh, and he can, can you, when you spoke to Robin, what about the story? Cause it was unlike anything he had done. I think he did a movie called being human. If I remember about he multiple did. past lives, yes. funny, there was funny stuff. Like he was a caveman and he was a
1: terrific Scottish director. Whose name he doesn't come to mind right now uh, that made that film. That's a wonderful movie.
0: Right, exactly. So he, he's that da- he dabbled in it a little bit, uh, but what was it when you had when you sat down and met with him? What was that meeting like uh, in, in this? Because I'm assuming it was funny, but there was some sort of spirituality talk about at that time.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, we you're right about Robin um, gr- being the one that that got the film ultimately greenlit because the film we knew was going to be very expensive with all of the the visual effects. And I'm very proud that the guys who actually did those visual effects won the Academy Award for it in 1999, which was the year after it was released. We knew it was gonna be an expensive movie and we knew we needed to have a major star. Uh, It was offered to Robin. Uh, We had not heard a response. (laughs) And I remember the director an incredible, wonderful director from New Zealand named Vincent Ward uh, we were told that Robin read it and wanted to meet with us. And we went to San Francisco and uh, we met with him hoping that he was going to say yes. And <laughs> he walked into the room and said hello. And he said, guys, I just want to tell you something. Not only am I going to star in this movie, uh, you may this may shake you up a little bit, but I'm going to play all the parts. It's going to make it much easier for you to cast the rest of the movie. It's all going to be me. <laughs> um, which was a wonderful way of getting the meeting started. You know, I I truly believe that the movie really hit Robin's heart in his own feeling for his wife and his, his children. Um, as with most um, comic actors, Robin actually off screen in real moments was a very serious guy, very serious guy, an incredibly well-read, sophisticated, cultured man who had a voluminous library, uh, was very into art. I mean, Robin was a very, very, very smart guy and a very deep guy. And I think it hit him on that level that it would be such a unique love story that he wanted to be a part of it.
0: And it, it definitely was, and, and it touches on, and if people who are listening to this or watching this have not seen that movie, please go rent it, buy it. It is it's one of those, it's one of those rare we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show it's one of those rare spiritual movies that has a budget <laughs> 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 i mean they just they don't exist i mean you know you're talking about hey i'm gonna go down to the bits of hell to save my wife um it rolls off the tongue not easy to film
1: no. And it involves suicide. It involves children dying. I mean, it it, it is a challenging, yes. challenging uh, project and it had challenges from the book level. Uh, we were very fortunate to get Ron Bass to write the screenplay for it. He actually rewrote Richard's screenplay, which Richard was incredibly kind with me about it. One point I realized that because of what the film was going to be, that we were going to need major stars. And I knew I needed a a major screenwriter who wrote roles for people like Robin and could get major movie stars. And I went to Richard and I said, look, I, I've tried, I can't get the script that we developed made. I wanna get Ron Bass, who was a friend of mine, to rewrite it, but I want your permission. And he said, absolutely, if that's what you think you need to do, that's the kind of man that Richard Matheson was, one of the greatest people in, in my life and just an extraordinary man. Ron solved the issues in the book. Uh, In the book, when Annie uh, takes her own life because of her grief over Chris Robin's death, their children are still alive. And we knew from day one that we could not do that. You can't create sympathy for a character who takes her own life and leaves two children orphans right and we knew we had to fix it and ron figured out how to fix it and people who have seen the film know how he fixed it and he did an absolutely extraordinary job that was an incredible journey i tried so many directors over the years we almost got the film done at 20th century fox in the mid 80s a lot of things happened it didn't happen um there were a couple of years where i it just was so painful to me that I hadn't been, been able to get it done that I put it on the shelf for a while, but I always knew that I would get back to it. And I'm I'm so glad that you've had that response to it because it is a deeply meaningful movie to me as well. And again, a terrific love story uh, with an amazing barrier between the lovers. You know, that's the, the key to love stories is, the, is the, the obstacles that the lovers have to overcome to be together, starting with Romeo and Juliet and probably before. Well, one's here and the other one's on the other side of the veil? That's a pretty formidable obstacle. And uh, I'm really, really proud of the film. And I'm really proud of Vincent Ward, who did such a fantastic job of making a truly impossible movie to put on screen. There were some directors, I won't mention them, but there were some directors over the years who said to me, Stephen, this is fabulous. I love this book. I'd love to be able to, to do it with you. I don't know how. I, I just don't it know is. how to put this on screen. And these are pretty extraordinary directors. Well, Vincent knew how. And the
0: thing is, too, if it would have tried to get done in the in mid-80s, the technology wasn't there to make no, that film. the technology
1: really. wasn't there until no. we actually did the film. And I remember when Vincent uh, came to me and he said, all right, I know how to do this now. I absolutely know how to do this. The the wife in the movie, Annie, is going to be a painter. And she also works in a museum, in an art museum. She curates an art museum. So he and she are very into paintings, her paintings and other ones, so that when Robin gets to the afterlife, he is going to be in a wet oil painting. And that is what the afterlife is going to look like it'll be dazzling it'll be beautiful he will be the only solid figure moving around in a world of wet paint
0: oh god and it's I, so i'll, never, beautiful. Forget I'll it,
1: never forget this breakfast i'll never forget this breakfast because i said to him that's mind-boggling can we do that <laughs> and vincent was yeah of course we can do that and no. i said you know how and he said hell no
0: It was barely, (laughs) barely, from my understanding of visual effects at that time, they barely could get it made in the way that they got, like the technology was right on the edge of breaking. If you would attempt to do it today, it'd be easier because there's more power and there's more technologies, but yet very challenging. There's a reason why you haven't seen that technique ever again.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really expensive. <laughs> it's
0: a, it's not a it's yeah even even if you had a, a Marvel budget, it's still complicated and it's it, it is it is a remarkable feat to say. That. And that was the thing that sold uh, that trailer. I mean, when you see him running around oh. in a wet oil painting and the dog is jumping around, and you're just like, how the hell did they do that? It was it was it's such a beautiful film. But I just wanted to kind of d- d- dig into that. And you also said Ron Bass. Who was a little, a little screenwriter? He wrote a couple movies, right? A couple other movies.
1: Oh yeah, Ron. I mean, didn't he? Uh, didn't Ron he win that
0: little, that little yellow guy, the Oscar, uh, at one point?
1: I'm sorry. Did he what?
0: Did he ever win that little guy, the little statue, the Oscar thing? Oh yeah,
1: yes, for a kind of an unknown movie called Rain Man. Right. Um, <laughs> and um, oh, Ron has had a lot of movies made. I think maybe thirty or forty,
0: and that's um, a lot in Hollywood. Even, even, even at that level, it's a lot. And he's still doing
1: it you know oh, yeah. he he's an extraordinary extraordinary guy and a fantastic writer and again when you get a film put together like dreams a whole bunch of things have to happen at the right time right. and the fact that ron agreed to do it when we had pitched pitched it to mgm and were walking out of the office having pitched it and having them tell us we're going to develop this thing, which was, you know, the end of at that point about sixteen or seventeen years of me being with it. We walked out of the office, and as we were leaving, there was one other guy waiting for a meeting with with an executive. Um, what do you call that? The water bottle tour? Yeah, the
0: water bottle tour. Would you go around <laughs> to all the offices and you? Just they, would yeah. you like a water? And they just give you water bottles. As yeah. Water so bottles. I think
1: he, he was on the water bottle tour. But I, I happened to ask Ron, who knew everybody in Hollywood, I said, Who is that guy? And he said, That's a director from New Zealand named Vincent Ward. And uh, a year later, Vincent became the director. So I, I think the universe said, Hey, Stephen, you are not all that bright, and you sure aren't that quick. <laughs> but your heart's in the right place. We're going to give you a break. Here's your movie. Go try not to screw it up.
0: Now, when you you mentioned earlier that when you were younger, you saw your father in your room. Um, Did that ever happen again after those sightings with your father? Did you have that ability to see people or was it just specifically your father at that time? No, no, no.
1: And I didn't see him. Uh, You felt it. I sensed him. Yeah, I felt him. I did not see him. And no, um, and as much as I have tried, um, I cannot see Lauren. I hear her in my heart. As we talk about um, in the book, this is a very interesting thing. And people who have gone through it, it's one of those things that unless you experience it, it's really hard to put it into words because the words don't fit this experience all that well. We don't have the proper words. But when Lauren first came through to me, uh, people asked me, did you hear her voice? My answer is through my ears, no, because she was cremated. Her body does not exist on this plane anymore. So I could not have heard that voice, but through my ears, but in my heart, I heard it and I still hear it. She's here with me this morning And I know when she's around, we have a, there's something that happens that I have not described to people, which I'm not going to, because it's very private with us and it's private. Everybody has their own tell with this type of thing, but I know when she's present and um, we talk really literally every day. And I know that that's very difficult for a lot of people to um, talk about. I've had people say to me, Stephen, how can you be sure? that you're not just making this up because you were so traumatized by Lauren's transition that you had to create something. How do you know that's not true? And I try to answer in the most honest way I can, which is that if I'm responding from my brain, I have to say that, yes, there's got to be a 1% chance that I'm making all this up. I I can't 100% up here logically explain that for sure it's real. In my heart, I'm a million percent sure. And because of all of the other people that are going through it, I know this is real for us. I know because of the conversations that Lauren and I have had and continue to have that it is her uh, and that it's not me. Um, One of the principal ones is that when Lauren was physical, We had a lot of laughter at my expense. Um, I tend to be a bit eccentric in certain things. Um, I just um, did a a wedding ceremony for one of our daughters. Uh, I officiated at it and uh, she gave me some rules. And the first rule was no dad jokes.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: Okay, no dad jokes. So anyway, we we had a lot of fun laughing at me and Lauren still has a lot of fun laughing at me. And I know when she's doing it and uh, it's an extraordinary experience. The veil has thinned, you know, there are a lot of different things that as you know, are going on in the evolution of our humanity. And this is one of them that we can have these communications through the veil. I know that that is very difficult for some people to accept. Uh, And I respect that, but I know that it's true for me and I know it's true for literally millions of other people around the planet.
0: So when, so take me to the, the moment when it first happened, what was that? What was that like? How did you, what was the feeling you had that you said, oh, this is not just my brain talking to myself. I can feel it. And I understand what you mean by I feel because the brain can't wrap its head around many things that happen uh, experiences. And I've I've had the pleasure of talking to channelers and psychics and mediums and near-death experiencers. It's really difficult for the brain to wrap their head around something like that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Logically. Well,
1: uh, we talk about this in the book, but I will tell you right now how it happened. It was six weeks after she had transitioned. Um, I was watching television one night. I um, used to record a, a bunch of different shows Um, I was in a deep state of shock, and uh, I I was also really depressed because we had not yet been able to make that contact, um, or I had not heard her yet. So I was watching the end of a particular show, and all of a sudden, I heard, I felt Lauren say to me, honey, watch the end credits. And I was like, what? 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 And she said, honey, watch the end credits. Now, I never do that with television shows. As soon as the show's over, I don't like to see previews for the next week. I always turn it off. And I was watching this one show and she said, watch the credits. So I was like, ah, okay. So the last, uh, the, the last commercial is over and they show the credits. And over the credits, they played the song... Um, Hey girl, you know, things are gonna get easier. Things are gonna get better. Someday we'll walk in the, in the rays of a beautiful sun. And that had been one of our favorite songs. And as soon as I heard, when your head is much lighter, we'll walk in the rays of a beautiful sun, I knew it was Lauren. And she waited until that time, I think, or maybe that was the first time she could have gotten through, I don't know. But I know she wanted to be in touch with me in such a way that I would know it was her, and that's how it began.
0: Did you did you when you heard her voice in your mind? Was it her voice or was it your voice through her? No, her. So it was like her tone, her everything in your head.
1: But it it wasn't her voice. That's it. see that not through my ears.
0: No, no, no. In your mind. In your mind. Oh, your...
1: absolutely, it it's was her, her voice. And it is her voice and it is her laugh, which is a very distinct laugh that she has. Um, It is absolutely, I do hear that voice, but not through my ears, I hear it in my heart. And I know that's a very difficult concept for a lot of people to grasp, but it's the only way I can explain it.
0: Now, when you guys first, so that was the very first communication. Then the next, at that point, what do you, you, did did the conversation continue or was it just like end of credits and nothing?
1: Oh, no, no, no. The conversation continued. And um, I, I was extremely emotional. I know I cried like a baby. I was so relieved that it had happened because we had talked about it happening so much. And it began a regular, literally daily interaction between the two of us. And after a day or so, I decided for my own purposes, that I wanted to make notes of our conversations, what I said, what she said, et cetera, because I wanted to have it to refer to later on. Um, I was not in good shape emotionally uh, in any way. This began a long climb back to being able to actually live again. Um, people who have had these grief experiences know that if somebody says, well, you just, you know, eventually you'll get over it. Those people do not understand what grief is. Um, that kind of grief, you do not get over. You absolutely do not get over it. It is a part of your life for the rest of your life. What you do learn is how to live with it. And the, it, it changes in intensity. It changes in frequency. Uh, And it changes in the way you respond to it. You know, I can go a week, two weeks without having, now, then I couldn't go more than 20 minutes without crying or something like that. Um, I remember one night following my friend, Neil, and I was crying so hard that I, I literally couldn't speak. And God bless Neil. He's just the most extraordinary man and an extraordinary friend. And he just waited me out and just said, breathe, buddy, breathe. And when I could finally speak, I said to him, Neil, I'm out of my mind with grief. And he had such a great typical Neil response. (laughs) He's like, good, good. I'm glad to hear that. You need to be out of your mind and in your heart because your mind doesn't understand this. And that was really the basis of Lauren and I having these conversations So anyway, I wound up doing this every day and writing what she would say and what I would say, et cetera. Um, This was in February, this started of 2018. In September of that year, and I was still making these notes, I went to Ashland, Oregon, um, where I had lived for a few years, where Neil lives, um, to see one of our daughters who lived there and to see Neil. And I had dinner with Neil and his Wonderful Wife M one night at a restaurant we used to go to, and I we, we discussed this in the book, I was facing the windows of the restaurant. Um, it had not rained in Southern Oregon in several months at this point. I, I have the date in the book, and I, I think it was September 28th of uh, 2018. I don't remember it right now, but I think it was around that time. It had not rained in months. That's an important story. There'd been quite a drought down there. So we started talking and you know, Neil said, how are you doing? And I said, you know, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm making a lot of notes uh, for the people who have read conversations with God. They know that that's how Neil started writing conversations with God. He started making notes for himself of the conversations that he was having with God. And he started writing them down. And I said, you know, it's kind of eerie, but it's kind of like what you're doing. I'm just doing it for myself. And he kind of looked at me a little strange and I said, oh, oh, I think maybe, I think maybe we're supposed to write this book. At that stage, and I welcome people to check the weather in Ashland, Oregon on that date. Lightning strikes outside the window. Lit up the whole night, lit up the whole night. And everyone turned around to look at it, there was thunder, and Neil smiled, and he said, I know the title of the book, Another Lightning Strike, and I said, what? He said, you're going to call it What Dreams Have Come, Another Lightning Strike, and I said, so Lauren and I are going to write this together, right? Another Lightning Strike, and after, I think there was maybe one more, we knew we weren't in Kansas anymore, and I knew I had to go home after that trip and write the book, and when I came home, Lauren and I talked about it and she said, yes, we're going to do it. And we wrote the book. I gave it to a dear friend of mine um, to read before we published it. One, because she's the best proofreader I've ever been around. And two, because she's a deeply spiritual woman who really under- knew, knew Lauren and I wanted to get her take on it. And um, for people who have seen the book or if you do read the book, all of the things that Lauren says in the book are in a different font than the rest of the book. And that Mm -hmm. was my dear friend Anna's idea uh, to do it that way. And we put the book out there uh, uh, two years ago this month, actually, two years ago in October, uh, we put the book out there and um, I wanna say to people, uh, before I forget, if you had an experience like this, or if you are having an experience like this, and you wanna share it with me.
0: We'll be right back after a
1: word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. My email is stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N at whatdreamshavecome.com. Stephen at whatdreamshavecome.com. I wanna assure you, that I am the only one that has access to that email account. I don't have an assistant, okay? Someone have said, well, I'm sure your assistant's reading it. Well, that exist, the assistant doesn't exist. And if, it's not Lauren, because if it was an assistant, it would be me, not her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I promise you, I will read it. And I promise you, I will respond to you. You need to give me a little bit of time depending on when I get it because sometimes I get a lot of these at once and sometimes I'll go a week or two without getting any, but I will respond to you because I want people to have the freedom to discuss this with somebody else who gets it. So please feel free to be in touch with me.
0: Thank you so much for that generosity of putting your putting yourself out there like that to help people, uh, Stephen. Um, so I have to ask, when you start talking to Lauren, I'm assuming the conversations are fun and and expi, but did she explain to you what her transition was like? What the other side is like? Any anything that you can bring back to us here? That, because we're going through some stuff right now. So any <laughs> little any little thing that you can throw our way might be. Well, no, you know,
1: I, I'll tell you. I have um, best way for me to describe this. Lauren has parameters that she needs to work within. Because there are things about her existence now that are really kind of beyond our human ability to be able to grok. Um, And so there is a limitation on what she can share with me. Um, She shares with me quite a lot. The life that we designed and the things that we said we were going to do, uh, she has been in the process of putting together and has assured me that they are waiting uh, for when I do cross over. Uh, Lauren did share with me, um, and so did somebody else very close to Lauren, when she transitioned um, and she actually, and I'm gonna use these words, but they're probably not correct. When she came to consciousness on the other side, She was assured, she was certain for a while that she was still asleep, that she was dreaming. And it took her a while to um, acclimate to the fact that she had actually crossed over. So it took a while for her to be able to do that. Um, She got in touch with me as soon as she could because she knew, you know, she knew that I was suffering and missing her. And so she got to me as quickly as she could. Uh, I know she had to go through a certain amount of review of her own life, of what her life had been like. Um, And again, when I say that takes time because time does not exist on the other side, it's a little difficult to actually translate that into what that experience really is like. Um, We have had moments in which, I mean, and I talk about this with her, a lot about what it's going to be like for me when I do transition and we are together again um, on the same side of the veil. Um, She has said to me, it's more beautiful than you can imagine now. I've already experienced it and it is everything that you hope and believe it will be. Now. That's because time is not the same thing on the other side of the veil. Um, I also know that she has been in touch with um, a couple of our kids. Um, they're all adult kids. The youngest, uh, the eight kids are between 26 and 46. I know she has been in touch with a couple of them who are open to it. A couple of them are not as open to it. Um, and yes, we do, we laugh. Uh, there are times that I cry with her because I, I I still, even though I'm incredibly grateful that she is around me, I miss us physically being together. And people automatically think that I'm talking about sex, which I'm actually not. I'm talking about hugging her. We used to meet in the kitchen in our house. She worked from home and I worked from home. We used to meet in in the kitchen of our house three times a day and hug for a while. I miss our hugs. I miss holding hands with her. Um, there, I miss our laughter together. We basically did not have a lot of mutual friends that we saw. We had our family and we really just spent an enormous, we were together 24 seven. I still miss that and I will always miss that. Um, there's a lyric from a song that always plays for me. When I talk about this, um, um, I will find my way back to, into your arms. I survive for your love. And in many ways, I do feel that. And I know that people who have had these experiences over a long period of time, um, I know that they understand that as well. And there are people that have had a heck of a lot more difficult experiences than me and then that I've had with people that have had long-term illnesses and you need to watch your, you know, your, the, the love of your life fade away. Um, People have gone through this with children. I've been in. Some have been in touch with me, uh, losing a child, which is something that I is so horrific. I can't even imagine how people survive it. Right. It, it is yes. We laugh. We talk. I also cry. Um, our kids say, "Dad cries at card tricks," and <laughs> <laughs> and there's a great deal of truth in that. Um, But, you know, she's my forever love. And we know we've been together over a whole bunch of different lifetimes um, and that it all kind of built to this lifetime about us being conscious of all that. So anyway, I there's a lot of that in the book. And I hope that people if you're looking for this kind of comfort, um, I hope people will try that if I hope they'll check it out because I think it will give you some comfort.
0: So I have to ask you, Stephen, there's I mean, there's so many of us on the planet who have loved ones with deep loved ones, either parents or lovers, you know, lovers or uh, children th- th- or even deep friendships who have these loves who people who transition. But not everyone gets this opportunity. Not everyone gets this kind of connection with the other side. Why do you think you did she ever explain to you why you to have this connection and why does it happen to some and not happen to others?
1: Great question. Yes, we have, of course, um, talked about this. Lauren, when Lauren was still physical, was a therapist. Um, She worked with um, young women with eating disorders. Um, She also was and is a world-class intuitive. And she used to do readings for people. Um, For anyone out there who lives with an intuitive, Um, you know what I'm about to say here, it is a very, very interesting experience that takes some time, a while to get used to, you know, we would sit and she would say, have you heard heard from your friend, Michael in a while? And I said, no, I haven't heard from him in months. She said, he's about to call. And like 30 seconds later, the phone would ring and it would be Michael. Um, we are both very spiritual beings and we talked about this a lot. Lauren was very connected to Summer and Time. Lauren um, was 17 years younger than me. Uh, she now delights in the fact that it's, she's almost 22 years younger than me. I keep getting older. She doesn't. Um, <laughs> Good sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> um, we thought that I would be the one that would transition first. And that obviously wasn't going to be the case. But we all, we both knew that we had been together and Lauren channeled some of our previous lives. Um, we knew that we had been together for a very long time, not every lifetime and not for every lifetime. Uh, we don't have the time today to go into all of the synchronicities that had to take place for Lauren and I to actually physically meet in this lifetime. Uh, We joked about it later saying that our higher selves really deserved a vacation in Tahiti for pulling that off because we met in a city that neither one of us had ever been to before. Um, That story is in the book. We knew that this was our journey. You know, it is our belief that we make these choices about our lifetimes. We make the choices about the soul groups that we incarnate and reincarnate with, which was one of... um, James Redfield's big things in, in, in Celestine prophecy. And we knew that we had spent a long time planning this lifetime.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: And that we would be together in this lifetime. Now, we did not know it was going to, at least consciously did not know it was going to be for a relatively short period of time. From the time I met Lauren to the time she transitioned was a little over 14 years. So we got those 14 years, which I'm incredibly grateful for, um, but we had no idea of knowing consciously at that time that it was going to to, what was going to happen was going to happen. But we had memories of, and distinct memories of various lifetimes that we had spent together, at least little snapshots. I know that now Lauren obviously has access to all of that. But it was never, this was never like, oh, isn't this weird or something? This was us. Mm. You know, this is like speaking English. You know, if, if you're born in, in America, you learn to speaking, it's like an automatic thing. You just you get to be an adult, you speak English unless you learn another language. Um, that That's the best way that I can describe it, that we we really knew that we'd had this before and that is why that one night, Lauren said to me, write this all down and she went into trance and we designed this afterlife experience um, that was the way we wanted it to both, both to be. Um, there's a wonderful writer whose name always, always slips my mind and I wish, I could could remember it, Um, I don't right now because this line is absolutely not original with me, it's his, but he said in the afterlife, we can choose islands of similar, gosh, what is it? Islands? Oh, islands of similar realities, which means that that we can choose in our afterlife experience to be with others that share that um in the unlimited quote space of the afterlife that we can choose how that will be you know one of the things we talk about in the book and i know this is controversial for a lot of people and I, i i don't say this in any way to be disrespectful because I am a great believer in all of the major religions of the world. I mean, everybody has things in their religion uh, and people in their religion that kind of take things um, perhaps maybe too far, but I have great respect for all the religions of the world. And as I have said to people, why is it that we think we have all these different beliefs, Buddhists, Christians, um, Muslims, uh, people who believe in the Tao, people, I mean, all over the world, and there are various sects of everything else. We have all these different pathways to God and all these different definitions of God. How is it even reasonable to believe that when we do cross over, we cross over into only one reality from one specific religion? If we have all of these things in life, why is it not that case that if you have, if you're a Christian and you believe in Christian beliefs, your afterlife reflects that?
0: Right. There's a heaven and there's a hell and there's a this and a that and so Right. On.
1: And 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 that's beautiful and that's wonderful. But if you have these spiritual beliefs, um somebody asked me about that one time. Well, you know, how can you describe that? And I thought of the great humorist, um, Will Rogers. At mm-hmm. one point, he was asked, um you know, w- was he a member of any organized political party? And he said, no, I'm a Democrat. Now, <laughs> now that could go for, no, I'm a Republican too. Okay. So, sure, sure. Um, so you know, it's, it's the way I describe this to people is, you know, look, I, I can't really quite explain all of this to you, but sure. I know it was all meant. And I'll give you one other thing That we talked about a lot that again is not original with me it it comes from a spiritual teacher that i had at one point which is in the afterlife picture this you're between lives you go out to a celestial running track and you start going around the track setting up hurdles Some are high, some are low, some are close together, some are not close together, and those are all of the experiences that you intend and your soul intends for you to have in your next lifetime. And you do it all the way around the track. Then you're born, and you start running the track. And you get very irritated a lot at the idiot who set up the hurdles so close together and so high. this is what we felt, and what, what I now know is true, that everything about my life and everything about her life headed to this, it headed to us writing this book together, and um, it will eventually lead the two of us to have uh, our reunion together. And I think one of the things that that has done for our adult kids is that when the time comes that I do transition, and I have no reason to believe it's any time soon, although it could, certainly could be, but I have no reason to believe that they will not, they'll miss me, but they won't be sad for me because they'll know I'll be with Lauren.
0: Steven, it, um, it's such a beautiful story. And I, I really hope everybody gets out there and reads the book and, and people who are going through this uh, take this conversation and hopefully bring some sort of peace to them as well. Uh, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all of my guests, what is your definition of living a good life?
1: doing what I came here to do.
0: What is your definition of God?
1: Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just small stuff.
1: <laughs> oh boy. Um, I believe that there is, an ex- there is an extraordinary power in the universe that I relate to as God, but I relate to that as God, goddess, all that is. Um, that it is not male, um, it is not female, it is all of the above, and it's the entire energy of the universe. I think now with this new telescope that we have up in space, and we are seeing the vastness of that space, seeing black holes being uh, created planets being spit out of those black holes, etc. cetera. Um, the majesty of the eternity of space has to have been originally created by an extraordinary force, and in my own feeling, an extremely loving force. Um, I believe that it's there. I think that the challenges that we have in life are not imposed upon us. They're things that we choose to experience, that our souls choose us to experience uh, as we evolve from time to time. So it's very difficult for me to define God in, in, a, in a more specific way than that.
0: And where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing where they can buy the book?
1: So whatdreamshavecome.com is our website. You'll get um, a, a brief description of the book and the link to Amazon where it is for sale. Or you can just go to Amazon and look up What Dreams Have Come and you can get the book there. And again, my email is steven at whatdreamshavecome.com. If you want to share these experiences with me, I welcome you to do that. And um, I, I hope that we will provide the comfort for people that we have received from having write, written this book.
0: And is there any uh, message that you would like to leave us with or that Lauren wants to leave us with?
1: We wish you love.
0: Steven, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you so much for sharing your experience, not only on the show, but in the book and uh, continued success in all your ventures in this life, my friend. Be well.
1: Thank you, buddy. It's been a lot of fun, Alex. I appreciate it very much.
0: I want to thank Stephen so much for coming on the show and sharing his journey with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, please head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 155. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey.